Welcome to Target Cancer, a podcast about how health technology is affecting lives and changing the world for patients and oncologists. Okay, well, welcome. Uh, my name is Mika Newton. I'm the CEO of a company called Excures. Um, so really quick, what we do at Excures is we work with advanced cancer patients and we help them with a couple of things. Primarily, we go and we retrieve and organize their medical records from all of the different providers they've seen, and we put them into a consolidated personal health record, so a summary they can use to share with their physician and with others on their care team to help them manage all of the complex data related to their cancer care. And then the other thing that we do is we use that data to help them and their physicians identify treatment options that they might want to consider prioritizing in their discussions, so helping with the background research of what are the most appropriate uh, options, not necessarily knowing which one is absolutely correct, but at least prioritizing them to just help with the time and energy required to research it. So, um, Dr. Morrell, thank you for coming on the show. Um, the reason for doing this podcast is that we are working on those things because we believe in continuous learning and in trying to improve um, outcomes for cancer patients. And part of what we think is important is um, sharing stories, discussions, new techniques, um, things that patients and physicians should be aware of in the marketplace. And so we really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, tell me and us a little bit about you and your practice and the things that you're most interested in. Well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate you asking me to come on. I am a radiation oncologist and I practice in Los Angeles, California, and I have my own practice. It's a private practice and we do solely radiation therapy for cancer patients. Um, I treat all types of cancer with radiation therapy. So that includes prostate cancer, lung cancer, brain cancer, skin cancer, breast cancer, and it goes on and on from there. Um, most of the patients that I treat have prostate cancer and breast cancer, but I treat everything. And we see um, a good majority of cancer patients because over 60% of all cancer patients at some point in their treatment course are going to receive radiation therapy. So it's a very nice practice. Um, I enjoy doing what I do. I've been doing it now for about 17 years. Wow, wonderful. So uh, as the first question that comes to mind, you said that most patients at some point in their treatment options, where options include things like surgery, um, chemotherapy, maybe targeted or immuno-oncology, different types of drug therapies, but then also radiation. Can you just tell us a little bit from how patients should think about how radiation kind of fits? Like how, how does it fit into the way that people think about um, cancer treatment? Well, that's a good question because radiation therapy, I think when it comes to cancer patients knowing about it, understanding it, a lot of patients don't. Um, when I have, um, when I sit down with my patients after they have been um, referred to me for consultation and in asking them questions, you really find out from the patients themselves as well as the caregivers or family members that may be with them that they haven't really heard a lot about radiation right. therapy. A lot of people understand surgery and they understand or know about chemotherapy, but radiation therapy seems to be a little bit different in that sense. So the patients who come through the door, a lot of times they're very afraid. Um, they, If they have heard of radiation therapy, they've either seen pictures on the internet or maybe talked to friends or family members that had bad experiences or Sometimes they think that this is going to be like Chernobyl, the accident in Chernobyl. Right. So, you know, they have different ideas about radiation therapy. And so 
part of what I try to do when they do come to me is explain it in a way that makes sense and really tries, I try to take away that fear that they have. Um, because a lot of times, again, they just have not heard of it. They don't know the different types of radiation therapy that are out there. And so um, I would say that for the patients who do get radiation therapy, they haven't heard about it too much. Right. Well, I mean, you bring up a good point. You, you say Chernobyl. I mean, when you hear the word radiation, it's something that's scary, right? It's something we should stay right. away from, right? Radiation typically. Right. Um, is there right. a good source or a place you would recommend patients go to learn about radiation beforehand? So one of the, and the reason I ask the question is one of the things I hear is in the internet is a very, very big place, right? And people go on and they Google it. And um, you make a great point, I think, that what you hear about are the people who have the loudest voices sometimes are those who've had a negative experience, right? right. And so people hear that and it, make, it can be kind of intimidating. So is there a place that you recommend that you think really covers kind of the basics so that a patient could feel comfortable or would know this is a good source of information for what I should know about radiation uh, therapy in general? Uh yeah, I think the um, American Cancer Society on their website, they do a very good job. National Cancer Institute, they do a good job. Another really good place to go is rtanswers.com. They mm -hmm. do a very good job of going into the details of um, radiation therapy um, and, you know, having a good um, section on their website of frequently asked questions. So I think those are good places to go to learn about radiation therapy and how it fits into different treatments um, for different stages of cancer and different types of cancer, mm -hmm. because that becomes really important. So, and, you know, in perusing those websites myself, I can see that, you know, how they're explaining it makes a lot of sense. It's very easy to understand. And again, they kind of do it in a very good way in terms of incorporating all of the information and how it may interact with chemotherapy and the timing of all of that. So those are good websites. Excellent. So that's very helpful. Um, as I think about then patients kind of going through the process, they're learning about radiation, they're going to come and see you in your practice. Um, are there a certain set of questions that you think that they should kind of have at the back of their minds that they should be ready to kind of talk about? Um, and, and I guess maybe kind of moving the conversation more into like the staging, there's early stage cancers and later stage cancers. Are there different like concerns and things that the patient should be thinking about as they're going into those, into that encounter essentially with you? Yeah, I think um, having a set of questions ready um, to ask the physician is always really, really good. Starting off with, you know, what type of cancer do I have? Um, as we, there's different types. There's squamous cell, there's adenocarcinoma. So even having that basic understanding of what type of cancer mm -hmm. do I have? What is my stage of cancer? Um, that's another question, you know, am I stage one, am I stage three? And having the physician explain to them the differences between stage one and stage three or stage one and stage four. Um, because I think a lot of people think that stage four, it has spread, it's terminal. That's not always the case for different types of cancer when you're in stage four. Um, another a question that uh, would be good to ask the physician is, what are all of my treatment options? So even though you may be sitting in front of a radiation oncologist, or let's say you're sitting in front of a medical oncologist, ask that doctor, what are all of my treatment options that are available to me? Um, because I think that is very important. For some types of, of 
cancers, essentially, you know, maybe the patient is going to just have surgery, or maybe they shouldn't have surgery, or maybe they can't have surgery, and they're just going to get radiation therapy. And then beyond that, there are other treatment options available that may not be as common as surgery or radiation or chemotherapy, but they are still viable and very good Mm -hmm. options for patients. So asking, you know, tell me what are all of the options that are available to me so that when patients walk out of the door, they have a clear and, you know, good understanding of what's out there. Um, Other good questions to ask for in terms of when you're um, meeting with a radiation oncologist or an oncologist in general is essentially, well, this type of treatment that you're recommending to me, what are the side effects? I need to know all of the side effects. Um, And that's another good question. So those are some of the basic questions that they um, should be asking. Super helpful. Yeah, thank you. So uh, now talking a little bit, um, part of what our company does is we work with advanced cancer patients. And often advanced cancer patients are told, um, um, you know, there's no standard of care really anymore. So we're trying different things. Or they're being told to participate in research. Are you involved in any kind of research, clinical trial activities, um, uh, kind of the more advanced stages of care and really trying to do some research and understand. And part of where I'm going with the question is I, I want to understand what's kind of new in radiation oncology and like what direction the field is, is going. So, yes, we see a lot of patients who have uh, advanced cancers, um, mm-hmm. stage four cancers, and we treat patients um, with radiation therapy all the time with those types of um, cancers. And so I, you know, being in private practice, I'm a, involved in research a little bit. I am part of an organization. My national organization is called ASTRO, which stands for the American Society for Radiation Oncology. And I sit on a, a committee where we are actually looking at trying to increase minority participation in clinical trials. Um, so that's kind of a passion area of mine because we know that there are a lot of patients who should know about clinical trials or maybe they have been told about clinical trials and maybe for whatever reason um, they are not being enrolled, whether it's you know the patient being afraid or you know maybe there's a lack of trust in the medical system or things like that, or maybe again, they haven't been told about a clinical trial. So that is how I'm involved. So right now I'm working with my national organization as part of the committee that I sit on um, to try to increase minority participation in clinical trials. When I have a patient who is in my clinic and they have advanced cancer or might be eligible for a clinical trial, then what I try to do is get them connected with the right individuals in terms of the medical oncology clinics that may be running those trials or see if they're eligible for a radiation oncology trial. Fantastic. I have a question. You were talking about clinical trials. So one of the things that I heard about clinical trials overall is overall, the participation rate for clinical trials is actually quite low. It's like 5% mm-hmm. of like everybody. Is that even more difficult in minority populations um, than, than it is in overall? And, and can you tell us a little bit maybe about some of the barriers you were talking about? Trust is, is what are the things that stop people from being able to, to be participate in this? Yeah, I think it's part of a larger uh, issue, which is uh, cancer health disparities um, and health equity. So um, it's just it's one part of, again, that larger issue in terms of clinical trials. So we know in terms of minority patients being enrolled um, on clinical trials, some of the barriers include language, actually, mm-hmm. Um 
where English may not be their primary language. And so therefore those patients are in, ineligible for certain trials. They cannot get on to certain clinical trials. So um, within my it, organization, what- Because the trials, the information on the trials is not in the language or actually you have yes. to speak English to be in the tri trial? No. Right. No, you don't have to speak English to be in the trial, but all of the, yes, all of the information and the informed consent and all of those details are in English. And so if you, if English is not your primary language, right. then again, those hard to understand, are right. yeah. hard to understand. Right. So we're trying to, you know, change that. Um, other things that have contributed to um, minorities not necessarily enrolling on clinical trials is kind of what I mentioned before, the mistrust of um, the medical community. Um, individuals know, older individuals um, have, you know, that history of uh, Tuskegee and right. some of the other things um, that happened in the past. So you have these, you have these older patients who again, don't necessarily trust the medical community. And so therefore they feel like if they enter into a clinical trial that they're going to be experimented on. Um, and so that's one of the barriers. Another barrier would actually be um, access to uh, good medical care or access to uh, entities, um, clinics, um, institutions that actually have clinical trials available. So we know that you know in certain areas, patients may not be able to get to those institutions because either they don't have a clinic there or maybe it's a transportation issue. So it's essentially, you know, lack of access to good medical care. Um, and there are additional factors that uh, that factor into it in, as well. And again, a lot of, some of it has to do with lack of awareness of the clinical trials. Some of it has to do with physicians not um, telling those patients about those clinical trials that are available. So you can see it's, it's multi. So what, why would physicians not like, what's the reason why do some physicians not talk about clinical trials? Bias, uh, discrimination, um, racism that mm -hmm. can, can come into play. Um, and we know we've done the research. We have the evidence that, that shows that that is the, you know, part of the reason why um, certain patients may not be told about um, clinical trials. This is such an interesting subject to me because I always think about where, where is the best, just again, kind of starting at the macro level. If you look at where the best centers are, they're all in big cities, right? And they're all mm -hmm. in, and actually right. located in a few big cities. It's not even like the best cancer centers are equally distributed across the United States in every state, right? So there's interstate mm -hmm. disparity then I think we see, or I see a lot of like inter-zip code then disparity even down at, at that yeah. level. And then there's okay. these like deep biases that are in the society. And so is this an education or a resource issue? Like if you think about um, in your work on this committee where, where you guys or you as a committee think the the most immediate impact is, like what are the one or two, maybe I'm picking the wrong numbers, one, two, three things that like, you can do immediately, and obviously, then there's there's a lot of complex issues. But what's the first one that needs to be addressed? I think the first one that really needs to be addressed is education um, and educating the general public about the clinical trials that are available and the importance of them. But the other part of the education aspect too is actually educating the medical professionals, so the um, physicians and the nurses and, and all, and those individuals also. 
um, cultural competence comes into play um, mm. when you're talking about de dealing with or, or working with various individuals from different cultures and having that training is also important because if you are interacting with a patient and because of their culture, they may feel that what you're telling them is something that is wrong for them, that goes against their family values and, you know, whatever. So having that clear understanding and under you know that cultural competence and the language and how to speak to different people that also comes into play but education i think is is really really important and awareness it's just awareness and when you talk about cancer you're right you have these very large uh, institutions these um nci designated cancer centers cancer. all across the country right and those institutions are very instrumental in um, getting the word out there to the community, to the rural areas about the clinical trials and other treatments that are available. Um, but, you know, even individuals such as myself in private practice, we have the ability to also make an impact. And so it involves a lot of different um, players, so to speak. Using um, another thing would be to use um, in, in discuss this with key stakeholders in the communities. We know that in the African-American community, the churches are extremely important. The church leaders are extremely important. Um, and discussing um, clinical trials with those uh, key stakeholders is very important in getting the word out to the community and getting the word out to these individuals and you know doing workshops and it the list goes on and on. There's on and a on. lot of things. Right. So but I would I would start I would say that the number one thing is just education. So uh, starting now in your own practice where you're talking to patients who are coming in and they're seeing you and I assume that kind of what happens is they're in a normal course of therapy and then maybe this patient might progress and at some point the clinical trial is the right thing or it's the next kind of option potentially for them along the line. So that's typically what's going to happen, right? Someone's going to be in the care of a physician. And then there's really a handoff that might need to happen to someone who might be in regular practice to someone who might be more focused on research. Am I understanding that dynamic correctly? Mm -hmm. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Cool. So tell us a little bit, uh, maybe then uh, switching on the technology side, what's going on in radiation oncology? Like what are, what's new? What direction are you kind of seeing kind of coming out of the research that is giving, you know, you're excited about then as a, as a radiation oncologist, what's going on? Um, I think with radiation oncology, the field is changing all the time. We have mm -hmm. newer technology. We're always actually looking for ways to not treat patients with radiation hmm. therapy. Um, looking to see. So, if we sorry, can I got to stop you there. So, as a radiation <laughs> oncologist, why are you explain that one? You're looking to not treat the patients with the radiation. Because you know, radiation is. A, I mean, it, it, the reason why I went into radiation therapy is because of the wonderful things that it can do. I mean, it's amazing. We can mm -hmm. cure people of cancer. We can stop their pain. We can stop whatever type of bleeding may be going on. It's just amazing about the things that radiation can do. However, it is a very serious treatment with very serious side effects. And those side effects can not only be acute, but they can be long-term side effects as well. So what we try to do essentially in oncology is look for ways to, what are, you know, 
avoid radiation therapy? Are there groups of individuals who may not need radiation therapy because it's not going to benefit them in, in terms of local control or overall survival? And so um, we're always kind of, you know, researching that and the data is showing that for certain individuals, for instance, um, with breast cancer, women who are over 70 years of age with very, very early stage breast cancers that are um, hormone receptor positive, some of those women can actually avoid radiation therapy. And so our field, you know, we're talking about that, that's becoming standard. That's something that we talk about with patients when they're sitting in front of us that, you know, based on this and your age and all of these other factors, I don't recommend radiation therapy for you. So that's actually a good thing. Other things that are happening within the field, there's a lot of exciting things happening. We're looking at decreasing the amount of time that patients have to um, be in treatment. So for instance, we are um, with prostate cancer. A lot of our um, data and a lot of our follow-up um, is based on eight to eight and a half weeks of treatment. But now we have newer data um, to show that six weeks of treatment is actually just as effective and the side effects are, aren't any greater. We're actually looking also where people are actually doing um, what we call a uh, SBRT, which stands for stereotactic body radiotherapy, which is where you can actually deliver radiation therapy in five treatments or less. And wow. we are doing SBRT for different parts of the body. Um, prostate cancer happens to be one area, but we're also using it for advanced cancers as well. So that's something that is evolving and very exciting because if you can get patients through radiation treatment faster, then you're going to be able to actually treat a lot more patients than um, previously because sometimes patients um, can't do eight weeks of treatment. They can't do that length of time because of various reasons, whether it's because of their job or other things happening in their lives. So trying to get them through radiation therapy faster is one of the things that is really exciting. So um, is that a, a that, when you say getting them through it faster, is that being it's more intense or actually less intense and more directed? Like what, when you say faster, I'm always wondering, is it a different thing or is it the same thing, but we're learning how to do it more efficiently? What's, what's changing there? It's it uh, for like, for instance, with um, stereotactic body radiotherapy, you're actually delivering a higher dose of radiation per treatment. So that is how we're able to make up for the time. And it's all based on radiobiology and physics. But you're essentially, you're, you're delivering much higher doses of radiation than what you would if you're doing it over an extended period of time. And so that's how we're able to do it. So we're, we basically, we call these ablative doses of radiation therapy. And we're seeing very, very good results with this. We're, we're actually seeing when it comes to like lung cancer, where some patients are actually able mm -hmm. to get SBRT and not necessarily have um, surgery for these um, small lung cancers. Um, and we're getting excellent results. And so, and like I said, now we're moving into other diseases. So that's a um, replacement because I've, I've always heard that, you know, the first, first stop is surgery, right? That's what I've always been told, but you're saying actually for some cancers, radiation might be just as effective as a surgery. Is that correct? Right, 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 right. For, yes, and particularly, like I said, lung cancer, especially for patients who um, essentially are medically inoperable and things like mm -hmm. that, the radiation therapy with the SBRT is actually showing excellent results. Um, so absolutely. So that's that's another exciting thing that's coming through in terms of radiation therapy. 
Other things that are exciting, um, flash radiotherapy is something new, um, not yet out there um, extensively. We're stu still doing a lot of research, but that's where you're delivering ultra, ultra high doses of radiation therapy in a very short period of time. So we're talking like over seconds. Um, and so we're looking at that as well. Um, and then we're also looking, you know, there's a lot of research going into um, artificial intelligence and how we can predict some of the things that may happen with a patient and or their tumor. Um, as you probably know, radiation therapy right now is very, in terms of technology, it's very technology driven. And we are all, you know, trying to find ways to where we can improve upon how we target our these tumors, especially tumors that are moving, so to speak. Um, and we're looking at different entities to combine in terms of when we're trying to um, you know, do our, our CT simulations. We're looking and plan the radiation therapy. So we're looking at PET scan and MRI and actually combining those as part of our treatment planning process. So there's a lot of exciting- That's really cool. So it's like you're looking in the body at the same time that you're doing these. Yeah, I, I'm actually, right. um, I'm very excited about what kind of augmented reality and and medical procedures are going to bring. So uh, Dr. Morell, thank you so much. I really, I, I have to say your work on um, addressing, you know, health equity and disparities in clinical trials, I think is just so incredibly important. I just know that participation rates across the board are already low. And if there's anything we can do to just bring these opportunities to everybody, the people who need it. Not only are, are the patients in these communities going to get access to treatment options, essentially, which the, the studies are a treatment option, right, um, in yeah. a way that are better treatment options, but we're actually going to learn and understand what works much faster. And one of my big concerns is we just simply as a whole community are not able to move quickly enough on some of the things in cancer. Our research is taking uh, too long. And if we can get better participation and more equitable participation, we'll learn faster and we'll be able to treat cancer much more efficiently in the future. And then it, it sounds like your practice is doing wonderfully and you have wonderful um, uh, new techniques and technology for you and your patients. So um, thank you again. Really, really informative. And I really appreciate uh, your time on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Dr. Morell. Have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.